What's going on, folks? This is episode number 160 of the East Village Times podcast. Uh, proud that Mr. Dan Zimborski is here with us again, a uh, frequent guest uh, on the show, uh, senior writer at Fangrass, Zips creator, uh, some interesting stuff going on in Padre land. Uh, Sammy, Dominic, and I are, are definitely pleased to welcome Mr. Dan Zimborski to the show. So what's going on, Dan? How are you doing, man? I'm doing pretty well. Uh, uh, San Diego has been like pretty much the only good team I've projected so far. I've gotten a lot of very depressing teams, but the Padres are a lot more fun than that. Yeah. And, and they actually have some work to do too, right? I mean, the Zips projection should get better seeing the way they're throwing around money left and right at, at, at players. They're certainly trying to. I mean, they they, yeah, they tried, to. To, uh, but you know, I guess I guess some people have choices of who's three hundred million they're going to take. <laughs> yeah, so that's a wonderful world we live in. That's yeah, for sure. It, it, it's a tough life. Yeah, it's a hard knock life for Aaron Judge. <laughs> Sorry, I mean. I, I tweeted something out earlier. I, I never thought I would live in an era where the Padres actually offer one of the best players in baseball more money and, and they don't come and they actually go to New York. I mean, I, I grew up in the fire sale Padres era, so this is just astonishing to me. Yeah, uh, especially because uh, all the ink when they gave a lot of money to a not very good player in Eric Hosmer, although that's the past and we definitely <laughs> don't want to revisit that. Uh, yeah, that there's there was definitely some uh, skeptical moves made uh, in this regime when they started, but it, it is what it is. Uh, the Padres are in contention now, and uh, the Zips projection machine uh, made some interesting projections. So before we get into that, Dan, um, tell us a little bit about the Zips projections for those that don't know and, and how that comes come about and, and how the projections are made. Well, on a basic level, so I don't get I don't sit here going on a soliloquy for about 45 minutes. Zips is a computer projection system uh, on a basic level. First, it tries to calculate where a player is using recent performance, stat cast data, different measures of shape. Uh, I use some statistical techniques like Mahalanobis distance and, you know, very fuzzy clustering methods. And I assemble a large cohort of similar players. And then Zips automatically kind of generates a, a big cone of ignorance like a hurricane projection. Uh, to kind of get at least peer through the fog a little about where a player could be going. Uh, obviously, the error bars are pretty large because we're predicting the future. Uh, but after it's been nearly 20 years I've been doing this, and so I've gotten to refine it a lot over the years. Uh, so we'll just say it's less terrible than when we started. Uh, that, I'm not going to put that as my PR line, but, uh, I mean, predicting the future is hard. Uh, and so hopefully we, we on the, along the way, we provide some data that's interesting to people that they'll get some use out of. Uh, hopefully people will pay me for it, too, which is always nice. Um, <laughs> and everyone wins in the end. Yeah. yeah. Hi, Dan. Thanks. No, thanks sorry. again. Yeah, not, not the Rockies. Uh, thanks again for joining <laughs> us. Uh, the one thing that stood out to me when I looked at the Zips projections was Manny Machado coming off MVP runner-up season, 7.4 war according to Fangraphs last year. Zips projection projects him at 4.8. I know that's the median value, but uh, what do you think of that projection for Manny Machado? Well, generally speaking, uh, it's kind of uh, when you have a star player at the top of their game, their average expectation going forward is almost always lower simply because of whether we call it the Madden curse or the Wheaties box curse or, or regression toward the mean. Uh, there are a lot more things that can go wrong for a star to reduce their war than can go right and increase it. I can think of a lot of scenarios in which say Machado has a two win season. I can think of fewer where he's going to have a 12 win season. Uh, so it, it's, it's not really a nice little bell curve when you're talking about a star player uh, and really except for very few players like five, six war is pretty much about 
the most you can expect simply because of this skewness of risk that stars have. Yeah. Uh, it's only been a few players, you know, a year that get a projection above that. Uh, Trout, when he was healthy year in, year out, uh, one soda the last few years, Fernando Tatis Jr. before this year, uh, very, very few players. It's, it's hard to sensibly project them to have six or seven wins as kind of your median guess going into a season. And then another thing was Blake Snell had a very, very low innings projection. Obviously, doesn't have the strongest track record of staying healthy and pitching a ton of innings. Is that kind of what goes into that account when projecting innings for starting pitchers? Yeah, generally speaking, Zips is projecting playing time kind of across all levels. It doesn't really matter for a player like Blake Snell who's not in the um, minors or will be in any time except for maybe a rehab start or two, uh, but it, it can affect kind of players who are kind of a double A people are like, do you project them to have 600 plate appearances in the majors? Like, no, I, I project them to have 600 plate appearances somewhere. Uh, in, in Snell's case, in every case, it's based on the player's history. There is some basic information about injuries that Zips can deal with, things like Tommy John surgery, shoulder injury, leg injury. Uh, there's there's only so much granularity you can get in doing that into a projection system. Uh, but it, it reflects his past usage and his injury history and kind of the, the injury rate of pictures themselves, because pictures are are essentially the baseballs of equivalent of a vase on the end of a table with a cat nearby. Uh, any, any picture can miss the season at the snap of a finger, you know, Oh, they're going to see Frank Andrews. That's good. Yeah, Dan, I, I wanted to stay as well with the rotation. I see that you've projected Jay Groom to have just about one war. He he looks like he could be a solid depth option. You know, he, he's the guy that they acquired for, Eric Cosmer. I'm curious your thoughts on him. If you think he could make an impact, obviously the starter, the Padres have been connected to just about every free agent starter in some way, shape, or form. Uh, but curious to get your thoughts on what you think of him maybe as a depth option, maybe breaking camp as the fifth starter even. I think right now he's a depth option. Uh, he actually had a better season in the minors than say the, the FIP looks like uh, simply because uh, minor league offense has blown up the last few years, kind of the opposite as major league base. But a lot of people miss that when, 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 when I talk to them, uh, you're like, no, no, the, the Pacific coast league uh, just had, you know, the, the, the biggest offensive season in that league since the eighties. And that was before they integrated all those American association teams that were in the Midwest and aren't remotely in the Pacific coast. Uh, uh, so Groom's numbers are better than they looked, but he's also not a big strikeout guy, not a big swing and miss guy in the upper minors, at least. Uh, so those those types of players do have a little bit of a, a, a learning curve in the majors. It's hard to, uh, be someone who 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 just goes straight to the majors without really being a strikeout guy. Those those the Kyle Hendricks types tend to take a little little bit of time and practice to really break out. Uh, but that being said, he is a good depth option. Uh, I think he's clearly going to be better than replacement level uh, in most scenarios. Uh, and right now, the Padres could use that depth because they have lost players to free agency. Uh, the rotation is right now, you know, before the offseason's done thinner than it was in the, in the last couple seasons. Uh, so there's some work to be done and it is nice to have these fallback positions because pictures are coming off the market pretty quickly after Carlos or there's a pretty big drop off to the next tier, I guess you'd call them. 
Yeah, no, no, definitely. And I think, you know, having an ERA just over three in the Pacific Coast League, maybe you don't look into it too much over the course of just 10 starts, but it's definitely something that I think the Padres could consider, you know, like you said, as a depth option. Uh, I wanted to change gears a little bit and look at your projections for specifically the outfield. And one player in particular is Trent Grisham. Um, Obviously, he had a really down year, hit just over 180, looked really abysmal at the plate for most of the season, but he does have that gold glove defense i saw that you guys are projecting him to you know maybe for a little bit of positive regression is there anything you can speak on that if you guys are maybe a little bit more bullish on grisham this year than than last year uh well one thing to look at usually with a hitter uh it's i mean it's not usually as big a thing for hitters as pictures but a low batting average on balls in play there there are limits to how low that can go and that and be sustainable uh in his career he's generally been in the 280 290 range last year was around 230 and it's hard to maintain batting averages of balls in play that low uh simply because there's kind of almost a floor which we call the pictures babbit floor uh because pictures historically have a babbit at the plate in the you know the 220 230 range and on a practical level any competent major league hitter is going to be more effective at hitting balls into play than than pretty much 98% of the pitchers out there uh there's kind of a flip side when you talk about babbit for pitchers uh hitters being used as pitchers historically have a babbit in the 330 340 range so pitchers over than that are almost certainly it's an unsustainable struggle uh and in grisham's case you do expect the batting average to go up he's not going to you know be Luis arias or anything um but i mean on the good side i mean he hit 184 and he still got two two war out of the season uh and so it's not like he was like at negative 1.2 or he was you know chris davis or something uh his glove is good enough that it can support a kind of a weak bat so really as long as he hits you know 222 30 He's actually a really good player as long as that defense doesn't slip. Uh, so while he's not a uh, a you know a the off hitter or anything, money stretch of the imagination or an offensive tour de force or or someone you necessarily want to see bunting at certain times uh, for a hit. Uh, I, I mean, he's a perfectly cromulent center fielder. Yeah, he's uh, he's serviceable, I guess you could say, right? Yeah, <laughs> I think nothing wrong that with be- that. No, I mean, he provides defense. He has a little speed. I mean, there's, you got to figure that this, this coming season has got to be better for him. I mean, I think the Padres are in that boat. He's still young enough to hopefully progress and, and get better. So we'll have to wait and see uh, what we get from Trent Christian. Uh, let's talk about Joe Musgrove, Mr. Antarctica, if you will. Um, Zips really likes him. What what uh, what are you seeing out of Musgrove that, uh, that Zips is so favorable on? Well, in 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 the uh, case of Musgrove, uh, when you look at his peripheral numbers, uh, Zips actually still thinks that uh, he still has a little more room to grow strikeout rate wise. Uh, that okay. his peripherals are kind of closer to where they his strikeout rate supported in twenty twenty one than twenty twenty two. So Zips does think there's upside there, and Zips thinks that you know he's he's not a risk to allow a lot of home runs. That's kind of a downside risk for a lot of pictures. Not so much in the in the case of Musgrove. You look at his at his hit data, and 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 he's not the easiest guy to hit uh, hard. Uh, so I mean, he I I think twenty twenty two in a large sense was a breakout season, uh, even if the war was the same, it did feel better. Maybe there's something psychological about it. Uh, yeah, it definitely did feel better. I mean, the, he got that 
extension out of the team, which was excellent. I mean, actually, that extension looked pretty good considering what players are signing for during the offseason. So I think the Padres did well in that regard. Let's talk about Blake Snell, if you will. Is Zips just not liking the consistency from him? I mean, we saw some dominance from him at, at points in the season last year, but there were also some times where you just shook your head at, at his performances. Um, what is Zips seeing from Blake Snell? Well, generally speaking, uh, Zips is still a little confused about his walk rate. It always seems to want to reduce it from where it is. And then he always ends up coming above it. Uh, you look at his, at his uh, first strike percentage, which is actually a, a pretty good leading indicator of a pitcher's future walk rate. Uh, and he still ends up compared to the peripherals always seems to have a walk rate, uh, half a walk, a whole walk above where you expect per nine innings based on the peripherals. So zips is, is, you know, a little, little skeptical there that he'll ever really reduce that. Uh, maybe more consistency would kind of reflect in that stat long-term. But I think thing with Stell is you don't really get full seasons. And I'm not talking, you know, 1960 ace full seasons. I'm talking, you know, 2020 ace full seasons. He's, he's qualified for uh, the, uh, the ERA title once in his career. Uh, And of course it was 2018, which was a terrific season for him. Uh, But there's, there's always an injury risk. There's always a walk risk with him. Uh, And, I don't know if Zips is really picking up on inconsistency per se, because uh, it's not really looking for that. But there are some aspects of his games that could be causing him to be inconsistent, if that makes sense. Yeah, he's a frustrating pitcher to watch at times, but at other times he is like a joy to watch when he's just filling up the strike zone and hitters can't touch his fastball and he's dropping curveballs off tables. And another pitcher who uh, is very much more. Uh, a joy to watch, although he does work a little bit slow as you Darvish. Uh, Darvish doesn't have the best projections. Obviously, as a 36-year-old, you're going to expect some regression at some point. Contract year, Zips has him at a 3.83 ERA in 167 innings, which is uh, about 30 less than his uh, 2022 season. Uh, what is Zips seeing in Darvish? Does it take his age into account? And uh, as a pitcher who works slow with the pitch clock, coming into this upcoming season is it taking that into uh, account too zips unfortunately can't really take into consideration the pitch clock simply because it has nothing to guide it anything that i put in would be a guess for me and i one of my uh one of my fundamental rules when i do these projections is it doesn't contain any guesses for me uh unless i absolutely have to where i kind of had to guess what to do with 2020 which which i guess nobody could get around uh but some of these things that are kind of out there in the in the ether, the 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 pitch clock, how shifts will change, uh, how larger bags will cause things to play. Those are all kind of sources of error, sources of uncertainty. And I don't think anyone really can say for sure what's going to happen because you see a lot of unexpected results from the things. And uh, uh, you can't always the, the, the cause and the effect isn't always as clear cut as people hope. And I would prefer because it would make everything a lot easier for me. Uh, in Darvish's case, Zips is aware of his age. He's looking at a Zips looks at a cohort of, of similar types of pictures uh, at similar ages. So it is picking up on that. Generally speaking, pictures don't have an age aging curve for most of their career. I always say pictures break hitters age, uh, but Darvish is kind of getting towards that age where aging really does become a year to year concern. Uh, he turns 37 before the end of the season. And this is kind of the point where 
there's more than just the normal nutrition going on. There, there can be some real aging effects. And that doesn't mean it's necessarily going to happen this year, but it is a risk. So there are more scenarios in the projections where he does decline. And that obviously will just kind of shift all the projections down a hair when you look at him as a group. I wanted to jump in and ask about arguably the most interesting case to project, and that's that of Fernando Tatis Jr. Uh, you know, after missing all of 2022 with the, you know, the first the wrist injury and then the suspension, and then, you know, we hear he's getting a shoulder surgery to, to try and reconstruct that. Uh, I, I'm curious what went into his zips projections. I see that he's only projected for a little over 400 plate appearances. You know, they seem to have him regressing a little bit. Um, I, I'm curious what went into your projections when you were building that out for Tatis. And if you think Padres fans should temper expectations as he comes back from a really difficult year in multiple ways. Zips has always kind of been skeptical on the Tatis playing time front, even before 2022. Uh, I mean, because he does have a history of some injuries that have really cost him significant amounts of playing time. Uh, really, I guess you have to go back to 2017. Uh, let's see, 2018, 2019, 2022. All, you know, significant seasons where he's lost time from injury. And he's he's a pretty young guy to have lost that much playing time. Uh, so Zips is concerned about that. Uh, it is aware in a general sense that he has a shoulder injury that cost him. Uh, I actually coded it for the whole season. I Maybe I shouldn't have, but the the whole thing with the drug suspension kind of complicated things somewhat because we don't really know like exactly when he would have gotten back if not for the uh, suspension. And in the end, it doesn't really change the projection that much. Uh, Zips doesn't actually care about the drug suspension uh, because one of the things that uh, people get very angry with me about that I reiterate is that we have a lot of data now on players who have been uh, caught using or evading in some way and gotten a drug suspension. uh, And they do not have a history of, of weird patterns of performance compared to projections. The players who have been caught do not underperform long-term after being caught. They don't have different career shapes overall. Uh, Now, obviously there's a lot of repercussions from that uh, fact so far of what I found, uh, which I don't always want to get in a fight about with people because it's a pretty loaded subject. And then I want to argue about Bonds and Clemens for hours. And then I just want to rip out what's left of my hair. I'm like, oh God, I don't want to do this again. We've been doing this for 25 years. Um, so it's Zips isn't worried about that, but it is worried about his injury history on in a general sense and his shoulder injury in a specific sense. Uh, it still gives him a pretty strong projection, of course, uh, but obviously it does kind of tamp down the, the enthusiasm a little bit because there is more uncertainty than there was before. Yeah, definitely. And I noticed that Zips had him at around 7.6 F4 last year as compared to this year where he's closer to, I want to say 4.7, 4.8 around the five range. Still still a productive player, but definitely tempering things a little bit. Yeah, I don't have sympathy because you had the other guy he was in in competition with last year in the war leaderboard, Juan Soda. Uh, Padres are, are definitely stacked. I mean, the, the addition of Juan Soto was was amazing for for Padre fans. I don't think uh, a lot of fans thought that they were going to be able to do that. But um, let, let's change gears a little bit and talk about Jake Cronenworth, who's penciled in as the Padres starting first baseman right now. Um, I don't necessarily like that move. What does Zips feel about it? And what do you feel about it personally? I long term, I think that you want to have him at the at the most difficult position that he can handle well, and it's kind of a waste 
to get a second, have a good second baseman playing first base for you. Yeah, it's, you know, it's like, it's like buying a Lamborghini to pick up things from Home Depot. It's like, <laughs> then why did, then why did you buy the car if you're just going to pick up potting soil in it? Uh, if you could fit a bag of potting soil in a Lamborghini, you probably can't. Uh, but it, it, long term, it feels like it a waste. But in the short term, it might be the best use of resources if you don't get the best option. Uh, because yeah. sometimes, sometimes you're in that Lamborghini and you do need to pick up some potting soil. And it's uh, you can't drive 130 miles per hour down the highway every day because you'll get a lot of tickets, and then you won't be able to afford it anymore or the potting soil. Uh, I think that Zips does believe that he would feel pretty well at first base, yeah. and that his offense would support a first base shot. It's not like he's someone who has to be a second baseman to be a major leaguer, uh, but he's more valuable there. Uh, but the yeah. fact that he can play first, because there's a lot of positional uncertainty with the Padres right now. You don't know where Tatis is going to be at all uh, or how healthy he is. Uh, there has to be some concern over Juan Soto's defense uh, and how much he'll be in right, how much he'll beat DH really when it comes down to it. Uh, and then right now there, there is kind of an outfield spot that is not accounted for. Uh, if you look at the depth chart that we have, there's a pretty obvious place where the war numbers go way down in, in left field. And you, we don't know what the Padres will, what the solution will be for that. Uh, if if you don't have a solution, you put Tatis in left field, then all of a sudden, you know, you have Cronenworth at second, maybe, and Kim at short, and then everything kind of just sorts out behind that. But you don't know that yet. So right now it's nice that he is experienced at first, although just long term, you'd you'd want him at second base, ideally, I think. Yeah, and I, I saw in a Ken Rosenthal article today that he said that the outfield seems to be projecting as Soto and Tatis at the corner and then Grisham in center, which be a fascinating outfield because you have two guys with supreme athleticism and then Juan Soto, who is one of the best hitters in all baseball, but was the worst defensive right fielder in baseball last year. So uh, he could also go back to his first position in the bigs, which was left field when they had Harper in right field. There's a lot of options for the Padres, like you mentioned, and uh, there's a lot of guys who you can plug in place. And I think that's what makes it a fascinating team. Uh, another position that's also going to be pretty fascinating is catcher because Seemingly, Luis Campusano, who didn't play a lot at the major league level last year, is going to be taking a bigger step this year. Asanola, who kind of cemented himself as that catcher, uh, lost his backup, Jorge Alfaro, uh, to free agency when the Padres non-tendered him. What do you make of the catching position? Because Sips has it projected at 2.7 war. I, I mean, I think it's a pretty decent situation. Uh, 2022 wasn't Nola's best season, uh, but he's not so old now that you don't expect some kind of bounce back. Uh, and I think that like a team in a different uh, competitive spot would probably be more open towards, you know, trading the veteran, giving the young player the full-time starting job. But the Padres are in competition with the Dodgers. They are in competition. They're a first tier contender and they're a little, they're going to be a little risk averse about these kinds of things. They're not going to want to kind of, they're going to see what happens with Nola and Camposano and then change, change approach, depending on if the facts on the ground change. Uh, I, I think it's a fine situation. Uh, I do think that Nola is not good enough that if Camposano broke out, that 
he wouldn't push Nola off playing time somewhat. So I'm not worried in that sense. Uh, I, I think the position's fine. I don't think it's going to be, you know, the the highlight of the team or anything, but it's I think it's in a good, good, good hands, uh, especially when you figure out the last lineup position is is kind of a little more urgent, I think. Dan, I wanted to ask you about the bullpen. You know, we, we've got news. Obviously, the team acquired Josh Hader at the trade deadline. They've got Robert Suarez signed up for at least the next three years before his opt-out. Um, and they have Luis Garcia as well. I'm curious. Uh, I saw the projections are a little bit lower this year than they were last year. I'm curious where that might be coming from. It seems like the the, the group might be a little more top-heavy with a little bit of a lack of depth towards the, you know, middle innings, but I'm curious to get your thoughts on the bullpen. Yeah, that, that's kind of how Zips is seeing it. It sees it as a top heavy bullpen uh, with some questions below it. Uh, Zips still likes Josh Hader. Uh, Zips was a fan of Robert Suarez from day one. Uh, I had him on my breakout list last year. Uh, one of the ones that worked out, uh, we won't talk about some of the ones that did it, uh, like a certain uh, starter for the Blue Jays who came from the Mariners, uh, which did not work out at all. Uh, a Cy Young Award winner, maybe? <laughs> No, 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 no not the other one. one. No, Kikuchi. Okay. Oh, God, Kikuchi. That was okay. that, yeah. that was not a good breakout pick. That was a very, very poor pick. <laughs> uh, but generally speaking, Zips likes Hayter, likes yeah, Robert Suarez, uh, and, and, and likes Luis Garcia. Uh, and after that, it just sees it as okay. Uh, some of the depth has kind of bled off in recent years, uh, and I think – I don't, th- I don't expect the Padres to go like anything major here, but I can see some more of these little depth signings. Uh, uh, some of those, you know, make some moves here on the cheap. So you can be offering $300 million contracts in more important places. Yeah. yeah right. <laughs> you, do you see anybody off the top of your head that, that, that makes fit uh, Dominic Smith? Are they going to reunite with Luke Voigt? Do you, do you see anything like that happening in, in San Diego? I think Luke Voigt's a little tricky. I mean, I like Voigt more than most. Uh, but I'm not really sure I necessarily want to tie up the DH spot too much because uh, okay. he's not a great defensive first baseman. Uh, I don't think you want to be in a position where you have to play either him or Soto in the field. Uh, that's kind of what the White Sox ended up in with Eloy Jimenez uh, 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 and names are escaping. Andrew Vaughn. I don't know why I couldn't remember his name. I guess I'm just tired uh, from the last few days. Um, so I, I, one of the tricky things is that a lot of names have come off the board already. Uh, it would be fun to see uh, if they really want to move Cronenworth. It would be fun to see the Padres bring in, you know, Carlos Correa, Xander Bogarts, let second base shortstop third base kind of sort itself out. Uh, I don't think they are, uh, but they could. I mean, I, I didn't really expect them to uh, be heavy into Trey Turner and they were. So, so we could, we can still have some surprises ahead, Sure, uh, but, but for, for the bullpen, I expect it to be kind of low key uh, when you talk about the available. I mean, someone like maybe David Robertson or uh, Michael Fulmer, those types of pictures who aren't going to command a lot, uh, yeah. maybe Trevor May. Yeah, you, you can never really know where AJ Preller is going next. I mean, I think he prides himself in that and and having several different plans and then just attacking them in different manners. So uh the Padres are definitely an unpredictable team. Um 
let's talk about Hassan Kim, who had an awesome year last year defensively in particular. Uh, a lot of Padre fans love what they saw from him. We saw some progression from the bat as well. Uh, give us a little bit about Zip's projection of Hassan Kim and, and what you personally think about the uh, Korean superstar. Well, personally, I'm happy that he kind of bailed me out this year uh, because Zips gave him a very aggressive projection coming over for Korea, which he didn't meet. And of course, (laughs) everyone blames me for that. Uh, Even though the the disclaimer on the projection says that all wrong projections are either uh, the fault of reality or Carson Sestouli, not my fault. Uh, But he kind of finally had the year, I mean, maybe not the configuration that you might have expected Japan, maybe you would have thought more home runs and not quite as much defense, but he did have, you know, a, a star level season on, uh, that he legitimately could have made an all-star team uh, w- w- with the year he had last year. And I think that's closer to his ability level than his rookie season was. Uh, and if you look at the projections, you don't see a whole lot of, of regression towards the mean. It's a lot more 2022 than 2021. So if, if, if Tatis is done as a shortstop, I don't, think the Padres have any worry there. Uh, I don't think that going after Trey Turner necessarily means they're unhappy with Kim as the shortstop. It's just that when you have the opportunity to get, you know, Trey Turner, you, 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 you go after it. Uh, so I'm, I'm not worried about Kim at all. Yeah. It, it, again, the Padres have options. Uh, Prellers developed this team to give options defensively. And that's, that's pretty stunning when, when you think about the, the way the Padres past has been. Uh, speaking of Padres past, Dan, before we let you go, uh, let's talk about Fred McGriff, former San Diego Padre, Hall of Famer. Now I, I know you had to have been stoked to see that. Yeah, it was, it was fun to see McGriff. There were, there were, uh, seven guys on that ballot. I would have voted for, uh, in priority, McGriff wouldn't have been the first one I would have chosen. Okay. But if I had been on that panel, I would have voted for him because it was clear from the voters there was no way Bonds or Clemens or Bell were getting in. And so voting yeah. for them would have been just kind of a waste. Uh, uh, I would have I would have voted for anyone on that ballot except for Mattingly, who is just on my out. I don't think his peak was quite long enough for me. Uh, yeah. But McGriff is an interesting case because I think people kind of get a wrong conception of his career that he was just like an above average first baseman for a long time but in fact is his peak was kind of camouflaged in a way because that 1990 1988 to 1992 era was actually a very very low scoring uh league uh one of the lowest uh going back toward uh the late 60s and and the dead ball era uh and so that kind of made mcgriff's numbers from that era not look quite as exciting uh, because we got used to kind of the 90s standard for a spaceman. Uh, I mean, if you if you look at like adjusted stats, you see like 150s, 160s for that. He was a truly elite player for that five, six year peak. And then a good first baseman after that. Um, yeah. He's he, he's not who someone I would call like, you know, an obvious slam dunk. But he, I do think he was over my line. Uh, I didn't get the chance to vote for him. I, I don't get my vote until after the 2025 season. Nice. Uh, nice. Uh, so, people, oh, I'm it's it's lucky it wasn't earlier because I have a policy generally that I will not waste a a, a vote where it doesn't have any effectiveness. And yeah. I would have not voted for Jeter because there were more than 10 players and Jeter was way over the line. And then I wouldn't be allowed in New York anymore because I would have been <laughs> the one public vote against Jeter. Yeah. I mean, I, mean, I voted. I was the only uh, voter in uh, 2021 in the rookie of the year 
to not pick Jonathan India. And I'm in the Cincinnati Saber, uh, not Saber, Baseball Writers Association chapter. Uh, so as you can guess, the city of Cincinnati was very displeased with me for a few months. And I, I still get nasty uh, DMs. But that's nothing compared to if I had been the one to deny Jeter a unanimous all vote. Oh, I get cold sweats thinking because I would have done it too. I'm glad I didn't have to. Thank You're going to have some major responsibility on your hands now, Dan. <laughs> yeah, I uh, I my my. When I when I'm a hall voter, my death threats will go up about thirty percent, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Um, Dan, thank you so much for your time today. Hey, why, why aren't you here in, in beautiful San Diego uh, at the winter meetings? Is that something you uh, you ever partake in? I do normally partake in winter meetings when we have a normal thing, but my back has been really bad lately. Uh, okay. I have okay. I have a couple of herniated discs that aren't mm. unherniating themselves at any time. It seems, uh, mm. and so I'm just I've just been a little sore lately, and I don't really when my back's like this i don't like long flights unfortunately yeah. and i, I live in, trust me i would much prefer uh the first week of december in in san diego than the first week of december in uh ohio where we have <laughs> snow i'm having my roof replaced tomorrow because oh, there's a man. raccoon that got in there uh trust <laughs> me being in sunny san diego right now has, is uh, uh i assume it's sunny uh it has a lot of what would be my preference let's just say yeah it's it's sunny here i mean for us native san diegans we're complaining because it's it's 60 degrees but it's it's still sunny yeah i'm not feeling sorry for your 60 degrees yeah, exactly right dan thank you so much for the show um zips projections are, are awesome uh this is senior uh, senior writer for Fangraphs, uh dan zimborski again thank you so much for your time dan have a great day and and good luck with the roof job man we always, we always have fun. Uh, and good luck on the 2022 season. That was Dan Zimborski, uh, just a great guy. I mean, he's he's very entertaining, obviously. You guys had a chance to listen to his stories and, and the way he uh, talks about uh, baseball. Uh, it's great. Analogies. Yeah, definitely. He's a, he's, a, he's a character. He's a character. I think that was Sammy's first uh, interactions with Dan. What, what, what did you think about uh, Mr. Zimborski? Yeah, no, Dan's a great guy. I, I'm glad that we got to talk to him and pick his brain about the Padres for half an hour. You know, really nice guy, really friendly, very personable. Um, mm -hmm. And he knows a lot, not only about baseball, but about Padres baseball. You know, he's uh, very, very knowledgeable. And it, it was nice getting to really dive into his projections. Yeah. yeah. I think Dominic, I think that's the first time that we've made it through a podcast where he hasn't mentioned Will Myers for Trey Turner. <laughs> Yeah, uh, it was nice. He did mention Eric Hosmer, so that's now two straight episodes. Uh, hopefully, if we do have a guest on our next episode, or if it's just us three next episode, we can not talk about Eric Hosmer. I think Eric Hosmer at three years and thirty nine million is just something we're going to be talking about regardless. Yeah, we might be talking. In, we might be talking about Eric Hosmer until twenty twenty five, twenty twenty six, maybe. Yeah, <laughs> sadly, sadly, but. It is what it is. Um, let's let's talk about some crazy news that the San Diego Padres reportedly, I, I guess it's official or reported, I, I don't know, but they were the highest bidders for both Aaron Judge and Trey Turner. Both players went uh, to Philadelphia and New York, respectively, as that was their choice, if you will. But, I mean, you guys are younger guys, but isn't it amazing that this San Diego Padre team is, is outbidding teams and, and putting their best foot forward in, in order to improve this roster? I mean... To me, this is just, I'm astonished. Yeah, 
I, I agree. I, I think all three of us were a little surprised when we saw that news come out that they had a pretty significant, uh, pretty significantly outbid the Phillies for Trey Turner and yes. allegedly outbid the Yankees for Aaron Judge. I, I think that's definitely something to consider. I mean, you see, like the ownership they're willing to spend. Peter Seidler is willing to do whatever it takes to win a championship and do it as soon as possible. So it's definitely good to see. And then at the same time, you know, I, I have seen some Padres fans that have been getting a little bit down about missing out on both of them, but I, I, I don't think you can be too upset about it. Oh, I mean, like, I really don't. No. I think Trey Turner, was their I mean, when you're making hundreds of million of dollars, a fraction of that, it, your preference comes into play and, and both wanted to be on the East coast and, and Turner wanted to have spring training in Florida where he's from. I mean, you can't compete with things like that when it comes down to it, but it's just, it's still fascinating to see that they actually really committed to getting these guys and, and, and wanted them. And I don't know, it's, 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 I'm still, it's surreal. Right. And it was confirmed that the Padres never made an official offer to Aaron judge. I think that's important to point out. Uh, the Bob Nightingale report of $400 million is what they were discussing, which is still miraculous that they were discussing it. Cause that means that they were willing to do that. They didn't officially do it. And it seems that even if they did officially do it, Aaron judge was going to take that one last year and go play back in New York for the Yankees. He he played for the, he played free agency perfectly. I mean, he played it like the way it's supposed to be played. And it was really funny because like $150 million on top of what the Yankees offered him before the season. Yeah. Yeah. And that video of him in the hotel in San Francisco was suppo- supposedly like fake and like yeah, just yeah. tried to get the Yankees. I mean, like it's awesome stuff. Uh, Giants they, I mean, fans. the Yankees had to be panicking. They really had to be panicking. Yeah. A Giants fan or sorry, a, a Yankees okay. fan like floated around an old photo of Aaron judge at a 49ers game. Like th- this stuff, like you, you can't make this up. And the Potters didn't get him. So what? Juan Soto is going to be playing corner outfield for the Potters next year. And potentially Fernando Tatis Jr. will be as well. Ha Sung Kim is going to be playing shortstop next year or Fernando Tatis Jr. with Jake Fernworth up the middle. It's going to be okay. Now the question or is, is or is he? I mean, there's still Bogarts out there. There's still Correa. Yeah. There's still Swanson. Is this team going to throw that money at, at those players? And, and of those three, which would you throw that type of money at? Correa. Yeah. Correa. I, I mean, yeah, if you're going to offer someone 10 years over 300 million, I'd probably give it to Cray over Bogarts. Uh, yeah. Ray's younger. I think he's just a better all around player. He's a, a far superior defender to Bogarts. Um, yeah, I, I would give it to Cray and I, I probably wouldn't even hesitate. But, you know, if they have that money sitting around allegedly for Trey Turner and Aaron Judge, you'd figure maybe they make a run at Correa. I know that they really had an affinity to Trey Turner, so maybe they won't be as interested in Correa, but I think it's still going to be an exciting rest of the offseason. Dodger fans would be so upset if the Potters got Carlos Correa too. Like, that would be electric. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm going to put it out there. That's my Padres fan coming out right there. I'm not a big Correa fan myself. I think that that money... I, I don't know. I'm just not a big Korea fan. I can see wanting Trey Turner uh, because he provides a lot of flexibility. I think uh, Kevin Ace even reported the Padres were more in the Trey Turner market than the shortstop market. They they saw sure. the flexibility that he possesses. They saw the power speed combination. I, I don't know something about Korea. Just it, it feels like he's the type of player that's going to peak and then fall quickly and 
when you're talking about an eight, nine, 10 year contract, I'm worried about the, the tail end of that. And, and I, I just don't want another situation where this team's hamstrung by a particular player, although they've proven they can, they can work through that. But I, I don't know. Bogarts seems to be the most linked to this team. We've haven't heard anything about Swanson and the Padres. Um, Rodon is, is still out there. They're, they're probably going to spend money somewhere. Where do you think they are going to go if they don't go towards these three shortstops? I think it's most reasonable to give it to a starting pitcher, right? Yeah. I think that you it's could use another impact bat. No one's going to complain if they do sign a Xander Bogarts for the right price. But mm-hmm. for me, I think in order to really be a true World Series contender and be like, okay, like this team is probably going to be for real in October. If you go out and get Carlos Rodon for six years, 180 million or something like that, and put him towards the top of your rotation, or even someone like Kodai Senga to really round out your rotation, that's a pretty formidable top five. If you have Darvish or Rodon or Senga, Snell, Musgrove, and Nick Martinez as your fifth guy, mm-hmm. that, that, that's probably where I'd go. Um, I'd be fine with another bat, but I, I think an arm would, would push this team a little more over the top. Yeah. And I don't want to compare the two guys because Garrett Cole had a little bit more of a better track record before, uh, he kind of had that resurgence with the Houston Astros, but it just took two elite years from Garrett Cole to go and get a massive contract with the New York Yankees. We saw that with Rodon 2021 kind of re-emerged himself, saw that fastball velocity jump up, which is something I mentioned in the article on eastvillagetimes.com. And then last year for the Giants, really put it all together, uh, led all of baseball in strikeouts per nine innings, and now has set himself up to get a massive payday. And I think that the Padres are reasonable if they want to go out and get him. I think that's the best improvement like to the whole roster that the Padres can make at this point because – then at that point, you're not shuffling too many guys all over the place. Like if you go get Correa, you can put Kim at second, Corona with a first, you could trade one of those guys like uh, they've talked about too. So I think that getting Rodon would be probably the best improvement just hand in hand the Potters can make, but uh, Senga too, uh, then you don't, you can still possibly get Ethan Salas in, uh, in the international free agency so you kind of got to weigh those because I'd expect Rodon to be better than Senga this upcoming year, but you can also still get uh, solace if you do sign Senga. Yeah. And w- yeah. one more thing to add, I think if you do go get a, a starter that's towards the top of the line on the market, like a Rodon or a Senga or even a Chris Bassett, that gives you a little bit more room to be flexible for the rest of the roster, right? If you go get someone like Correa and you pay him 35 million or close to $40 million a year annually, you're, you know, you're already over the first luxury tax threshold. You might even be over the second one already at that point. Um, and you really don't have a lot of room to, add another DH or add a fifth starter even. But if you do go out and get a starter who you're paying somewhere in the realm of 20 to $30 million a year or two, then you still have that ability to go re-sign, say, Jerks and Profar at 8 to $10 million a year, or someone like Brandon Drury, who's got that versatility to be an infielder and an outfielder, or someone who could be your DH. So like personally, that's probably where I would go. I wouldn't complain if they signed one of the big shortstops, but I think yeah. signing an arm and having a little bit more cash left over to kind of round out the roster might be the smartest way to go. Yeah. I mean, but to me, if, if Rodon's going to get 30 million a year and four, five, six, seven years, it, I, I, I have to step back. Blake Snell, you Darvish are free agents at the end of the year. 
there's already familiarity with those players, those, those pitchers, perhaps it's, it's wiser to just save that money and try to extend those guys. I, I don't know. You make a great point as far as filling out the rest of the roster, because there are issues with this roster. They, they, they are going to need multiple people in order to fill out adequately. We'll have to wait and see. Preller is definitely someone who's changes gears quickly and, and often and Seidler's proven that he's ready to commit money towards anything that's needed to improve this team. So I, I don't, I don't know. I, I, it's, it's again, I'm still astonished at the movement that they've made this winter and, and the contracts that they've reportedly handed out or, or, or in discussion of handing out to these players. It's, it's pretty head scratching. Um, do you think that Juan Soto is talking to this team about an extension? Do you think that that's actively happening? Or do you think that the Padres want to wait a year? Do you think that Boris wants to wait a year? Where, where do you, where, what are your guys' feelings about Soto re-signing with this team and, and the likelihood of that happening possibly this winter? Well, I can tell you what Boris wants to do. Boris wants Juan Soto to hit the open market. That, yeah. that is undeniable. He isn't explicitly yeah. sometimes, but we all know that's what he wants. Uh, it's crazy. One of my friends pointed out, uh, he sent me the photo that I think Fabian Ardaya tweeted when Scott Boris spoke to the media at the winter meetings and like everyone is there. He runs the league. It's he has just as much power in major league baseball as Rob Manfred does. I don't think that's too much of an exaggeration. It is a little bit, but uh, I think they're probably like have thrown out numbers with him, but I'm sure Juan Soto is probably focusing on having a rebound year and then maybe talking and getting an extra yeah. 50 or so million dollars an extra year. Cause I mean, he is young, like that, that stuff's going to really matter to a young free agent. So I think it's neither of the top priorities at the moment because Juan Soto is going to want to have a rebound year so he can help the Potters win a championship. And the Potters are going to want to try and figure out what they can do to this roster to make it a championship caliber roster or even more of a championship caliber roster than what it is right now. Yeah, yeah no, I definitely agree. And a couple things to add on that, you know, I do think that this off season might dictate the direction that they go. I mean, I, I wonder what would have happened or if they would have approached Soto about an extension, if they had signed Trey Turner to a similar contract to what the Phillies gave him, you know, yeah. I, I, it, you like to think that they would have money for everybody, but that's still paying sometime. Right. It's like 140, 150 million dollars to five players when you factor in Tatis, Soto, Machado, what they would have given Turner, what they're giving Musgrove over the next few years. It's interesting, and I'm honestly intrigued to see where that money comes from. I I don't yeah. really care, you know. It's not our money, um, and, and they're going to. But like you said, I mean, you got two pitchers next year that are headed for free agency. You're going to have to bring them back. They're both going to cost you at least twenty to twenty five million dollars. What are they going to do? I mean, right. right. And one more thing on Soto too. You saw a judge got nine years, 360 million at age 30. He's going to turn 31 here soon. Juan Soto, he just turned 24. So, yeah. I mean, he's going to hit free agency in 2024. That's at least a 10 year commitment, probably closer to 12 to 15, even someone's going to be paying him through his age 40 season. So I wouldn't be at all surprised if he gets based on the judge contract, if he gets 12 years to 15 years for somewhere in the neighborhood of, you know, 400 to 500 million wouldn't surprise me at all. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and these players getting money into their forties is concerning to me when Manny Machado can opt out at 31 mm-hmm. and can probably get an eight, nine year contract from someone. So, yeah. and a lot of Padres fans don't want to talk about Manny Machado opting out because he's so happy and he's enjoying playing in San Diego. And I think that's true, but 
fact of the matter is he can opt out and say, Peter, you got to pay me more. I've done, I've outplayed my really expensive contract that you gave me. I want to be here, but I deserve more money. He can absolutely do that. And it's scary. And, you know, at the same time, like if you sign Korea, Korea can play third. He did it in the WBC at a really high level. So like, you know, I'm not saying sign Korea in the case that Manny Machado can opt out, but could be something the Padres might want to think about. And that's something to consider. I mean, do you guys think maybe that the reason that they're trying to throw this money at someone else is insurance for if Manny yes. opts out or Absolutely. so? Because yeah. I just don't see any way that they can carry four, three hundred, four hundred million dollar okay. contracts on their books. It, like, I'd love to believe that, but I just, I just don't know if I see that happening. Yeah, I mean. Let's be honest. The, the San Diego Padres turned a profit last year. They still turned a profit last year, no matter what they spent. The Petco Park is the happening place to be. There's concerts there all the time. The San Diego Padres made a profit last year. They're going to make a profit this year. How much does Seidler really want to spend? And, and he's been on the record of saying that you can't take the money with you when you go. So I, I don't know. I, I'm We're just going to have to sit back and, and enjoy this. But yes, I do think that throwing money at Turner and Judge was an insurance policy in case Manny wants to leave. That's again, Preller is the type of GM who thinks two, three, four moves ahead, and I think that, that was something that he had in the back of his mind. I, I, I think Manny's very happy here, but at the same time, he's going to want to be compensated, and he's going to want to make fair, fair market value, and and. What that is, we'll have to wait and see. Um, I, I and, just cons- and you know, Boris is going to want him to make fair market value too. Yeah, right. yeah. Definitely. And, and I mean, put the opt out in there for a reason. Exactly. And, and if you look at it too, like if he hits the open, like obviously a lot can happen between now and next year when he can opt out. But if he hit the open market this year after the season that he had, he's getting a lot. He he would get a lot more than the five years, hundred fifty million that's yes. going to be remaining. On There's his no quality free agents next season. No yeah. quality free agents. Besides Shohei Otani. Well, yeah. Besides, he's this, more this, of a quality. Yeah, he's more yeah. of a unicorn. But yeah, yeah. It, it's but, very thin. It's very thin. Yes, it is very thin. And and that's scary. Uh, we'll have to wait and see. Um, guys, let's let's uh let's transition into my uh my Padre salary segment, which I've been uh which I did last week. Um let's let's roll with that again this week and see what you see what you cool. guys have for me. Uh for folks that don't know, this would be the highest uh the, the amount of Total amount of money a former San Diego Padre player has made into his career to date. Um, I put I put out two players to Dominic and Sam, Sammy, and they uh, they let me know which one they think made more money in their career. Uh, the first two I have will be Ricky Henderson and Edison Volquez. Oh, Ricky played for a long time. He did. Ricky he played, played for twenty five years. Right. Yeah. Volquez played for four. Yeah, and I know he got a that is he got, he got a couple of good contracts. I'll, I'm inclined to lean toward Ricky just because he played for so long. I'm gonna go Volquez. Sammy with the win. Ah, uh, no. Ricky Henderson, forty-four point five two five million dollars in his career. Edison Volquez, forty-three point eight six five. It's crazy. I, I wonder. I wonder if Ricky played for twenty five years, like starting like ten years ago or so, like how much more he could get than that. Oh, yeah, yeah. He he would be like a three three hundred million dollar player for sure. Yeah. Um, let's transition into Matt Latos and Josh Hader. Uh, 
Well, I'm not really sure how much money Matt Latos made after he left the Padres. Yeah. Josh Hader's going to be making around, what, $12 million this year in arbitration? Yeah, he hasn't really hit his expensive. I don't know. What did he make last year? He made a decent amount last year. I don't know, I'm not going to look because it's cheating, but yeah. um, <laughs> I'll, I'll, go Matt, I'll go Matt Latos. Yeah, I was going to say Latos as well. You both are with the win. Uh, Matt Latos made $25.318 million in his nine-year career. Josh Hader is sitting at 23.019 in six years. Yeah, so he's going to pass that this upcoming yeah. year. Yeah, he'll pass that this year, but up until to date, uh, Latos had him. Uh, let's go with the last one here. Sean Manaya and Rod Beck. I'm not really too familiar with Rod Beck. Rod uh, Beck was a former closer, had the handlebar mustache. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. But not too familiar with like his full career path. Beck uh, played 15 I mean, years in the majors. Sean Manaya is seven years up until yeah. last year. He's just hitting his free agency. Uh, and I also had his one of his arb years during the COVID-19 pandemic. Yeah. I'm going to go with Beck. Yeah. Me too. Wow. You guys are, are improving. Another there win for you. Rod yep. Beck, $26.6 million in his 13 years. Sean Manaya sitting at 23.687. Yeah, he probably would have improved since last week. Good job. We didn't have that. <laughs> Good stuff, man. Good stuff. You guys are, are making progress. I, I have a couple more. If you're down, if not, we're running short on time. It's up to you guys. I think Sammy's got to go. So yeah, let's save him for next week. Save him for next okay. week. Okay, I got, I got, I got you next week. Wait, while uh, we're I have some. I, yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> I think what was that? Sam was a three for three on that one. Yeah, yeah. I'm hot. Nice. I'm Good job. I'm walking. Uh, <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, folks, thank you for joining us. This is episode number 160. Uh, Dan Zimborski was here talking Padre Zips uh, projections with us. Uh, it's always great to have him on the show. Uh, another great show. Uh, welcome Sammy again. Uh, it's second show with Sammy. Uh, we're liking this new uh, guidelines that we're following here. Uh, folks, give us some feedback. Let us know what you're thinking. Let us, let us know what you'd like to see from us. We we want to hear some feedback from you guys, the guys that, uh, that actually listen to our show and, and watch our show. So give us some feedback, if you will. Um, we're always looking to improve. Uh, Dominic, uh, I think you can go ahead and take us out of here. Yeah, thank you all for tuning into this episode of the Padres East Village Times podcast. If you're watching us on YouTube, thank you all for tuning in on our new platform. Make sure to subscribe to us that way you don't miss Another episode, uh, eventually we're going to start going live on YouTube once I get that all figured out uh, with getting on Zoom with OBS and on YouTube. Uh, thank you all for tuning in. If you're listening to us on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to just us on audio, if you are interested in watching us do the podcast, we will be on YouTube starting soon. Uh, make sure to follow us all on Twitter. You can find Sammy, uh, myself, James, and Dan Zaborski. And make sure to check out his content at Fans Graphs uh, if you want to be uh, super intelligent about what's going to be next year in baseball. You can look at his zips projections. Uh, and with that, we thank you all for tuning in. Hopefully uh, the winter meeting is going to drive you two nuts and hopefully nothing comes out uh, as I'm wrapping this up. It's four o'clock Pacific time uh, on Wednesday. This will probably be up early on Thursday. So hopefully nothing really important Padres world happens between then. So thank you all for tuning in. Have a good rest of your day.